Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Crypto Hipster Podcast. This is your host, the Crypto Hipster, Jamil Hassan, where I bring you founders, entrepreneurs, executives, thought leaders, artists, musicians, you name it, all over the world in crypto and blockchain. And today, actually today and the summer season, I am bringing to you a new compilation episode. Last year, from seasons one, two, and three, I brought you the Crypto Hipsters Chronicles. And now, from season four and five, without further ado, I bring you the Crypto Hipsters Mysticals. And what that is, and what it was last year, and what it is this year, it's a compilation. It's a compilation of three or four podcasts together as like a montage. And on a certain topic or area of interest in crypto and blockchain, pulling from my podcasts. And now, as we're heading to the summer of 2023, I bring to you the Crypto Hipsters Mysticals. And there's going to be 22 or 23 or 24 around their episodes. And I look forward to you looking forward to it. So thank you very much for tuning in. Thank you for, for enjoying my podcasts. And this is going to be a summer treat for everybody. So please sit back, enjoy, and uh, yeah, let me know your thoughts. This is Crypto Hipsters Mysticals, episode 14. Trusting institutions, trusting others, and trusting yourself. Blockchain's role in the evolution of trust. This Crypto Hipsters Mysticals episode is a combination, a compilation of four episodes, clips from four Crypto Hipsters podcasts. First is Jesper Johansson, who is the founder and CEO of North Stake. Second is Gleb Zamiatin, who is the founder of Masters of Universe. Third, Scott. Crone, who is the founder of Coda Management Group. And fourth is Jack Gibson, who is the founder of My Indestructible Wealth. Enjoy. So you did mention accelerating the adoption curve, right? So institutions should be and could be critical and crucial for unlocking mass adoption for Web3 innovation, right? And democratizing the future for everybody. Um, but this concept of democratizing the future for everybody, doesn't that go contrary to the primary aim of a corporation, which is to maximize shareholder wealth for just the shareholders? Uh, how, do you, how do you bridge that dichotomy or that those two things to me, they just sound opposite. That in order for adoption to occur, we need, uh, you know, we need to travel on an accelerated path and institutional adoption of crypto assets will do that because it will bring in a lot of capital into these uh, blockchain ecosystems that will uh, help them accelerate the growth path that they are on. And the use cases, the, the, the economies that they're building on these blockchains are aimed at 
democratizing or decentralizing various aspects of uh, of sort of what we what we call future um, Web three economies, whether that's decentralized finance, whether that's NFTs or tokenization, uh, real world assets, kind of, these kind of things. Now, um, now the interesting piece, the interesting piece, and so sort of the second leg of the question is that does this concept go against sort of a primary aim of, of corporations, uh, which is to, to sort of produce shareholder value. And I think if you think about it from an institutional investor's perspective, they will be looking at an investment opportunity, let's say, um, what what would uh, what would a liquid market of tokenized real world assets look like, right? In the future, um, there are certainly a lot of economic incentives to do so, uh, in order to take very large assets and breaking them up into smaller bits and making them more liquid than they are today. Uh, everybody sort of buy into that. But how would you then do that? And who's going to own the infrastructure and the, the sort of the ecosystem of, of service providers that would enable um, enable this? And if I'm an institutional investor, I'm looking at it, I'm, as, as, I'm, I'm assessing the investment opportunity here. And that is done through the lens of creating or maximizing shareholder value. And I would be looking at and assessing this investment opportunity to what I can get elsewhere. What is the opportunity cost of, of making this investment? Um, but the fundamental primitive that creates the value in this investment is democratization or decentralization or you know, sort of making you know use of a technology which is which is founded on the core premise that it needs to be decentralized and you need to have uh, you need to democratize the access to let's say in this case real world assets, um, making those available to uh, you and me and everybody else and not just you know large institutional corporates. So. North State do not necessarily we don't necessarily have sort of a uh, a dog in that fight, if uh, if if I can say that, uh, we monitor this, but we have sort of a <clears throat> very pragmatic approach because we sit on the institutional investor side, where we say you don't know how to make this investment, you don't know how to manage this investment, you don't know uh, how to you know long term secure this investment. And the reason why I can say that is because they don't would they don't want to understand this, right? They they rely as they do in many other in many other asset classes on uh, third parties uh, that they can counterparty assess, and then they can partner with in order to make the investments that they need in order to uh, successfully execute their strategy. So. Obviously, we're interested in ensuring that the blockchain communities and sort of crypto communities see as much inflow as possible because it sort of help uh, the price action long term, which is in everybody's interest.
We talked about fear. We talked about uncertainty and pain. Now let's talk about doubt. Okay. So I put doubt in the same category as trust. And I, I see it like being in crypto, being in technology, I see it as four options for trust. And I'm going to ask you about each of them. I'll lay them out first. Um, there's some people who trust everyone, right? There are people who mm-hmm. trust people, but not technology. There are people like me who trust technology, but not people. And then there's the fourth group who trust nobody, right? So mm-hmm. how do you how do you help each of the people into the four categories um, with your solutions? And um, you know, what are your thoughts? Uh, well, um, I think the ma- the matter of doubt is the matter of ignorance. Uh, the ma- but uh, for example, if you do not trust the person, you just need to collect more information about this person. If you hear, saw the uh, recent uh, series called Consultant, the Consultant, that was the case. Like uh, it was a guy uh, with pretty interesting name, um, Regus Patov, uh, who and uh, other people don't know him. So their mind created different, you know, scenarios, negative scenarios, like he killed someone, he made out of gold, whatsoever. <laughs> but it means that this person simply do not feel or do not coincide, do not interact with the archetypes that we have in our subconsciousness. If you see uh, the person uh, who do, um, who we don't know, uh, we start to put him in our boxes, like men, women, old, young, and after that we make certain projections. So uh, when people do not trust someone. It means that first of all, they do not have enough information, and second, their uh, analytical system, analytical mind, analytical parts of the brain, put it him or her into the wrong box, which we just you know put it. He doesn't behave like us. He doesn't say another word. He has with uh, he has an accent. He has a strange name. It's weird. Um, I will go away because I don't want to get the problem. Yeah, I don't trust him because we don't know what actually can happen. We are uh, prefer to stay in our comfort zone rather than rather than to to go out in this because it's energetically expensive to go out. So it's better to do not trust people rather than to trust them. And the same as for decision making, it's better to stay safe and do not to invest, but save, you know, all all the pennies rather than to, you know, uh, put a land portion of your wealth into the uh, something new. Of course, it's it's a very big internal struggle, and not where not a lot of people can work with it, can accept it. As for trust for technology, uh, 
I, uh, since I'm founder of two startups, I know that behind the technology, there is nothing more than algorithm. And uh, if you understand that uh, computer just a simple machine, actually abacus, but very, you know, <laughs> advanced abacus, um, there is no point to uh, fear of algorithm. Even with you know all this fear, uh, all these new fears about uh, implementation of artificial intelligence, intelligence, um, and ChatGPT and uh, other models, um, people try to find that it can make, um, it can be a new mind. But this is again, it's just simple machine. It's algorithm. It's not, it's not possible to make, um, to put life into the thing that is not breathing. It doesn't have soul. It cannot create uh, uh, um, something new because it just, you know, can construct uh, things from, uh, you know, different details, which you, you don't know because, uh, of course, uh, uh, metrics of information that used by uh, AI machines is much bigger than you, you can even imagine. It's a perfect instrument. And uh, how it's, it's just, uh, but at the end of the world, it's just zero and one. <laughs> it's just a program. Yeah, it's a, it's algorithm. It's uh, it's Abacus. <laughs> But very huge bucks. <laughs> All this is really making me think now. Thank you very much. Um, I have another question that I want to shift gears a little bit. And I saw this where you talked about this a little bit. I want to find out, you know, um, and, and it's more of a, on the personal side, right? How to live a full life, you know? Yeah. How do you live a full life? And what, what are some of the things that, that you could do to do that? Well, one of the things that began early in my, you know, when I graduated from college, my roommate and I decided we were going to do one new thing a year. And so, you know, that's led me to, you know, swimming with sharks or climbing Mount Kilimanjaro or, you know, learning how to um, paddleboard or, you know, it, it doesn't have to be expensive things, right? It's just continuously pushing yourself to learn and grow and develop. The other side of it is, recognizing that there are different elements or stages of each of each person's life each person's day and i have to block out time for myself in order to clear my head and not be distracted with noise music phone whatever it is and have that quiet time that solitude and silence in order to allow those thoughts to come up because th those thoughts aren't loud thoughts those are very quiet thoughts that get stifled out very easily by other distractions. And that's where the creativity and the juices come from is when you, when you sit quietly and you allow yourself to just to relax and think and your mind to, to, to begin, you know, revealing these things that, you know, you can come up with. And so for me, that begins with paddle boarding on Lake Michigan, you know, nine months of the year, um, at, you know, 530 in the morning. It's, you know, I'm out in the middle of the lake. Well, not in the middle of the lake, but I'm out in the lake. There's no cell phones. There's no distractions. And it's just, I can have that time. 
you know, the other three months, either three to four months, you know, I'm, we're still walking the beach, but there's something about starting the morning with a, with a heart of gratitude and silence. And, you know, one of our good friends, um, when we, when we met him, he was a self-described congruent, you know, and he was walking by himself and he has his dog and we have our dog. And over the course of the, the couple of years, you know, we've seen this transformation in him where he's like, one day he missed, he's like, we have to get down there right away. It is so beautiful. And he was like running down there. And, you know, before he'd be like, you know, just going through life like that. Now he's actively looking forward to that time, looking forward to those, that period of being on the beach, beginning with gratitude and solitude. You know, we still have our negative moments. We still have our down times. We still have those things. But the point is that you know, we've seen a transformation in our lives. We've seen the transformation in other people's lives when they begin their day. And it doesn't have to be at a beach. It could be a walk around a park. It could be walk around a lake. It could be walk through the forest. You know, wherever it is that you have your time to create that silence and solitude or that alone period of time so that you can allow your mind, that, you know, the inner voice to come through and, and begin so you can begin hearing your inner voice. Gratitude and solitude being a member of the 5 a.m. club. And uh, and what else was the third one? Uh, silence and solitude. And then uh, gratitude was the other one. Yep, got it. And what's, what, can, when, what can entrepreneurs do like, in, the, in, daily, that, in the daily life, like with the gratitude? How can people, like, I'm grateful for what I have left. Not just what I have, but what I have left, right? Um. So how can people begin to gain that sense of, of gratitude? Because it seems like a lot of people have, don't have that right now. Right. I mean, especially being an entrepreneur, right? Like for every yes you get, you get a thousand no's, right? So it's like, you know, celebrating the wins, right? You know, taking the time. You know, when we accomplish something, we, you know, we stop and say, you know, thank. You know, like this is exciting. Let's celebrate this. Because you know, it's not too often we could go through life and just feel like we're getting pounded by the next wave, right? You know, sometimes we go out there and, and you know, the waves are six feet and we're trying to surf them and you're just getting hammered by the waves. You know, that that's that can feel like the life of an entrepreneur, but everyone projects it as like surfing like this hundred foot wave and there's like, woo, right? But then, you know, there's times when you wipe out on that hundred foot wave and you're underwater for a very long time. So, you know, when you come to the top, you better be gratitude. <laughs> So we all have those periods of times when we feel like that hundred pound, that hundred foot wave is crashing down on us. Yeah. Yeah. This goes back to something somebody told me back in 2017 when I left the corporate world and became an entrepreneur. It was like the highs are really high and the lows are really low, you know? Absolutely. Okay. So say you're younger and you don't have any money to asset allocate, right? Or you know, very few, like how do you, how do you begin to build those passive streams of income starting from zero in um, a tumultuous market? <laughs> yeah, it's not easy to be, it's not easy to, to do. Well, you know, my biggest thing is investing into yourself first. You know, what's your own level of education? What's your mindset? I feel if you put the most amount of time, energy, and money back into the real estate between your two ears, that's where you're going to get the biggest return. All the books that I have behind me, you know, that are right here, those are why I'm, I'm rich. Like those are 
those are the real deals, the books, the coaches that I've hired that pour into me and help me to see things differently, to be more strategic and to make more money in my businesses. You know, those are great investments. So sometimes people skip over investing into yourself, go into the seminar, go into the, you know, to the conference that can teach you new things and, and raise your level of mindset and your skills so that you can make more money. Because at the end of the day, you know, the, the best way to become really wealthy is to increase your income dramatically. And if you can, the, the way you increase your income, the only way I know is you, you've got to increase your skills, you've got to increase your mindset. And the only way that happens, well, you've got to, you've got to learn new things. You can't expect what you know right now to get you to the next level. It's what you don't know, or even what you don't know that you don't know that's causing you to not get to that next level. It's the person that you haven't met yet. You haven't networked yet that could transform your entire business, you know? So I'm all about fundamentals of long-term wealth creation. And yes, crypto is, Bitcoin is certainly a big, it's a part of that, but it is just a part. Somebody starting from zero, you know, they need to make more money, honestly, like putting two, three, 500, a thousand bucks into any asset class, whether it's crypto or anything else. I mean, even if it goes up a hundred percent, that doesn't change your life hardly at all. But if you were to take your income from 5,000 a month to 10,000 a month, that changes your life in a big way. So I'm all about, let's do that. And then let's keep our, our expenses in check. So we don't, as our income grows, we don't automatically raise up our lifestyle to match it. And let's bank that difference and invest that difference into, yeah, get Bitcoin, get Ethereum, get, get a chunk of that. If you're all about crypto, you believe in it and you're not, you don't care about the price action necessarily. Then, you know, you're first getting started. You know, I don't mind somebody going all in at a young age, but you know, I think that uh, for a lot of people that we saw, they just put way too much in chasing price action and they just didn't understand what was the underlying technology. They didn't understand what they were investing into. It was the same thing I did, just a different type of asset class. The same thing I did back in 2000 when I chased the tech stocks. They did the same thing in 20 and 21. They were chasing momentum. They were chasing past returns. They didn't know what they were buying and they put way too much in based on their risk tolerance. And that's who, that's who got hurt in crypto. Interesting. Uh, so, you, so I want to destroy, I want to draw a distinction there between skills and coaching, right? I can't see any of the titles of the books you have on your shelf, but what benefits have you received by seeking out different coaches and, and what have you learned that you've been able to apply uh, toward that mindset? I'm sure there's a lot. Yeah, you know, it's so hard to say, you know, here's the thing, when we buy an asset, let's say we buy a property for 100 grand, and it goes to 150. And in the meantime, we collected 20,000 in rent, right? Well, that's a return that we can easily quantify, we can say, that investment yielded that return. Whereas when we hire coaches, or, you know, we read books, or we go to seminars, and we invest into our own mindset, and you can't quantify it. You have no, you, you really can't say, well, because of that coaching or that book or whatever, that I made this much money. Maybe you have a little bit of a general idea of how it helped, but 
you don't really know. You can't, you can't really express that and quantify that, right? So that's the problem with it is that people, it's an unknown. And so when we don't know, then we tend to shy away from those types of things because, well, we just don't know how much it helped, right? All I know is that if you took away all the books I've read, took away all the coaches and I, all the seminars, I'd make a fraction of what I'm making today, a fraction, if that, <laughs> and that's if I'm lucky. So I, I know it's made a, an incredible difference. I just don't know, can't say exactly how much, but that's the thing. You'll get your biggest return by far. You just won't be able to quantify it. 